Good evening. Thank you so much for joining us on uh, Mongo Spaces this evening. We want to discuss the impact of the finance exchanges, especially as related to excess duty. The motivation of this is mostly because for a few weeks ago, EABL reported their half-year results. And one of the key things the CFO highlighted was the impact that the excess duty changes have had on the company. So it's impacting a lot of the businesses that maybe deal with alcohol and EABL is one of them and the betting company specifically. So I want to explore excess duty a little bit and see what changes came in and how they're impacting the companies. We do have a representative from EABL. We'll be able to ask them questions. So we start with Todi. Maybe Todi, you can introduce yourself as I try to get John Bordos. Thanks, Mukaya. Good evening, everyone. So my name is Todi Tairo. I'm the director and lead consultant at Astute Consulting, which is a boutique tax and regulatory professional service firm with a focus providing solutions to mainly MS the micro small and medium enterprises within the East African region. In terms of my profession, of course, I'm a tax professional for over 14 years now. You can start by explaining a little bit what excess duty is in the context of the broader tax regime in Kenya. Maybe you can give a breakdown so that anyone can understand that. Excess duty, of course, is one of the tax heads applicable in Kenya. Uh, of course, there's a specific act that relates to excess duty, which is the Excess Duty Act. In terms of uh, looking at excess duty, of course, it's a consumption tax. A consumption tax means uh, a tax that you pay on consumption of a product or a service, like VAT, for example, which is also paid when you buy something or when you're consuming that particular product. So excess duty is also a consumption tax. And of course... The evolution of excess duty definitely has been very interesting, not necessarily in, in Kenya, but also globally, because traditionally excess duty actually is referred in another name as Sinta, which is basically a tax that was being levied or that is levied on products or activities that are considered harmful or undesirable. For example, in Kenya, traditionally, the goods that have been subjected to excess duty in the past have been alcohol and cigarettes, just to mention the main products. But of course, over the years, we've seen the evolution of the same from the traditional sin tax to probably just another revenue generation stream from the government. And, and some of the changes that have come in the past years, like We've seen excess duty being introduced on the betting and gaming industry. Maybe the betting and the gaming industry uh, will probably fall under that traditional category of syntax. But then there has been excess duty that has been introduced on products such as cosmetics, which is uh, a luxury good, so it's not necessarily uh, a syntax per se. But even more importantly, on things like financial services, which definitely are necessary in the day-to-day -day running of businesses and also day-to-day -day running of, of our lives. Also on other items such as airtime, which of course in, in this day and age, airtime is definitely a necessity. So excess duty has definitely evolved from the traditional syntax where governments were claiming that they were trying to discourage the consumption of certain products such as alcohol and cigarettes. And of course, right now is definitely being viewed as, as an additional revenue generation stream for the government. And that explains why excess duty has actually been expanded to some of those other products and services that I have mentioned. And you can repeat, what was the traditional intention of, uh, of excess duty? And then give us context as to how we relate to the rest of East Africa when it comes to excess duty. Yeah. So like I mentioned, ex excess duty was definitely uh, being introduced on, on those products, which you will say had a negative impact in society. If you're talking about health-wise or affecting the society in a negative way, like you would say gambling probably affects the society. So that was the traditional uh, intention of introducing excess duties, such as to make this product expensive and like help the society avoid this product. But from a Kenyan perspective, as I have mentioned, of course, that has definitely evolved, but it's also different from how the same has actually evolved within the East African region, for example. I think it's only in Kenya where we've actually extended excess duty to services, for example, like the financial services to stuff like airtime. I would say that Kenya has definitely evolved in terms of making excess duty just another additional revenue stream as opposed to maybe the other East African countries. I'll come back to you in terms of maybe seeing some of the changes that have happened uh, in the finance sector as regards excess duty and also some of the things that they want to introduce in the MTRS. So first, let me allow Zach to introduce himself. So maybe Zach, you can introduce yourself and say what you do. Thank you, Mokaya. Um, my name is Zach Muni. I'm the head of public policy for EABL. I've been in the excisable space, say about nine years, but uh, within the public policy space, around 15 years. Happy to be here. How is EABL mostly impacted by excess duty? Uh, so maybe you can start by giving a bit of context to that. In a nutshell, excess duty is our biggest worry. 
currently, and it has been over the years. If you look at a product level, you're talking about 50 or 51 percent of the product cost being excise or government revenue or government taxes. So it's a significant part of what we consider as a cost for the products that we sell. If you compare it with other East African countries, you will know that it's significantly higher. So if you're talking about Tanzania, it's around 36%. If you're talking about Uganda, it's around 27%. And this brings in the problem of consumers looking for affordable products across the borders. So you'll find we have contraband coming in from Uganda and Tanzania into Kenya as consumers are looking for value. And that primarily because of excess. So as a contribution to what I've said is 51% of our recommended retail price for products, specifically for beer, you'd find that's government tax and the significant bit of it is actually excess. It's less to do with VAT and corporation tax or tax stamp cost but it's more heavy on excise duty. We feel as if, in a way, excise duty makes alcoholic products uncompetitive in Kenya. And it also creates an incentive for people to look for alternatives. And that's why you'll find also illicit trade is quite high in Kenya. We recently did a study as an association. So we have an alcohol beverage association and we partnered with an international firm called Euromonitor. And we did a study on what the current illicit trade levels are. And you'll find that while in 2018, we were talking about 44%, which was still high. Now we are talking about 59% of alcohol consumed in Kenya being illicit, which is quite a high figure. Thank you, Zach. Turning back to you, in the Finance Act 2023, there's a couple of things that have been introduced. You can expound on that and then give us a bit of uh, flavor on what happened. Yes, Mukayas. There are quite a number of changes that came in uh, with regards to excise duty during the Finance Act. Uh, 2023, of course, there are some that were positive, probably just to start uh, with the positive changes, that there was the removal of the inflation adjustment uh, vision within the SS duty and additional uh, provisions. So the inflation adjustments allowed the commission actually to like adjust the excise duty rates applicable, of course, by what uh, they termed to be the inflation adjustments. Of course, that meant that despite what the law provides, that this is a rate of excess duty, the law actually gave power to the commissioner to actually adjust at that particular rate without necessarily going through the change of the rate in the law. So I, I think that was a, a, a bit of a positive change because it definitely made the exercise duty environment uh, very unpredictable because it could be adjusted at any time based on what the law provided there. So that was at least a, a positive change. Another positive change that came in was with regards to the removal of the general offenses provision. So previously, uh, what was there is just a provision regarding offenses relating to exercise duty. So now they are very very specific. And if you look at them, they're actually very punitive and it's around things to do with having counterfeit stamps or, or producing counterfeit stamps or are being found in possession of goods, you know, that do not have legit exercisable uh, stamps and, and stuff like that. So I think that's positive as to whether that is being implemented or enforced uh, as it should be. I think that's another discussion. Then of course, there are some other changes that came in. Of course, there will always be changes with regards to the increase in, in, in excise duty rates. For example, like the betting industry, the excise duty actually increased from 7.5% uh, to 12.5%. To uh, there was a reduction on excise duty for airtime uh, from 20% to uh, to 15%. I think the, the, the most radical of, of changes, if I can call it that, is the requirement to have manufacturers in the alcoholic industry, uh, as well as uh, the betting and gaming industry, remitting their excise duty within 24 hours. I, I think that's very important because the government has act had actually been uh, running a pilot using the betting and gaming industry in terms of uh, remitting some of the taxes within 24 hours. But, but I think that definitely worked well because the betting industry, of course, is, is more of a cash-based like industry. So by the time you're placing a bet, of course, you're, you're placing the bet in cash. So it was a little bit easier in my view. 
for them to comply to that. But of course, I think we are, we are definitely going to have to discuss some of the effects that has actually had when we talk about the alcoholic industry. In terms of paying the excess duties currently in the 24-hour kind of regime, how would the company go about doing this? You're just paying this before you sell, right? Absolutely. Like for the alcoholic industry, the requirement is that you pay once the goods leave the storeroom, basically once they leave the, the, the factory out there to the distributors and to the retailers, it therefore means that you need to account and pay for that with all tax within 24 hours. So basically it's actually uh, a payment that you need to make on, on a daily basis. And, and, and the way I look at it, actually tax payment, especially for the industry that are affected by the 24 hour like payments model has actually become a, a full-time job because you also need to do your reconciliations on a daily basis, which is something that people used to do on a monthly basis when you're accounting for all the other taxes, uh, the VAT, the withholding tax and the monthly taxes. They used to do it on a monthly basis, but now of course it's become like a full-time job. So of course, it means that you're paying it in advance, which to some extent doesn't make sense because uh, we, we are calling this uh, a consumption tax. Yeah. So even before it reaches to to the distributor or to the retailers, as long as it has left your factory, your storeroom, then you actually need to account for the same. So of course you need to finance that particular tax, whether through your working capital. And of course, in normal business, and that would definitely mean that you actually need to borrow to get the funds to, to actually finance that particular tax payment. And then when you compare us to other countries around East Africa or internationally, uh, is this a norm or is this something new that is unique to Kerry? At least from an East African perspective, it's definitely unique to Kenya or all these other countries. Most of these taxes are, are usually monthly taxes and, and they still continue to operate under the same system. From a global perspective, in my view, I'm not aware of any other country that's actually making payments in 24 hours, even just from an accounting perspective, it's uh, and an administrative perspective. It's something that is so cumbersome. As a government, you really want the business to concentrate uh, in doing their business, what they do best, so that they can generate more income. And, and of course, that means more taxes uh, for you. But if you then start overburdening them in, in terms of the administration of accounting for the tax, and, and, and one of the principles of, of taxation actually is uh, simplicity. So when you start making it complicated, then even from a compliance perspective, then it, it, it becomes very difficult because of course guys are not going to comply voluntarily. So it definitely goes against the simplicity principle of, of a tax system. So I, I think it's very much unique to Kenya. Zach, uh, what turning on to the discussion around excess duty here and the impact, especially of the Finance Act, given specifically does target companies in, in the alcohol industry and baiting? And EABN is one of those affected. So what's, what have you gained so far uh, in terms of the changes in excess duties and how it's impacted the business? I think Todd covered a lot of it. So first of all, the 24 need to account and pay for excess duty has had a massive and significant impact on our business, as you saw, with the half-year results. A lot of it is actually eroding our bottom line. And primarily that's because of increased borrowing costs just to keep up with the payments for taxes. And currently the interest rates are escalating day by day. And as uh, Todd has, has mentioned, we sell our products on a credit basis. So we give our distributors 30 or 45 days for them to make payments. But we expected to make those payments to government in 24 hours, whether we've sold it, the product or not, whether those breakages, whether the product actually got to trade or not. Then also from a compliance perspective, we've had to hire additional experts now to do the administrative bits of accounting for those taxes. So it, it means a increased headcount, it means increased complexities because in accounting terms, it's very complex to account for excess duty day by day. And then you have to go and look at whether you made the correct submissions to carry or not. And also just be careful so that we don't get penalties and interest being accrued because we did something wrong. So that has been a significant one. But in addition to that, we saw the coming in of a five shillings excise on industrial sugar. Part of our production process uses sugar for some of the products. So that an increase in terms of our cost of Sold. So it means that legitimate alcohol products are becoming more expensive because that goes straight to our cogs. And then another change that came with the Finance Act for 2023 was an increase in the excise duty on packaging material, specifically 
imported glass. So currently, for context, we have two glass manufacturers in Kenya, but they're not able to meet all our capacity for glass packaging. That requires the industry to supplement with import. The excise on imported glass had been introduced in 2020 at 25%, but with the Finance Act for 2020, that was increased to to 35%. And now from KRA's perspective, glass packaging material is considered as a finished wood. So it means even at the end product side, we are not able to offset the excise duty as an input tax. So it's a straight through to the consumer, which now continuously increases the cost of legitimate alcohol when we get to the market. And of course, there are other increases which were not specifically affecting the alcohol industry. For example, the increase of VAT on fuel from 8 to 16%. We have a huge fleet of commercial vehicles getting the product to the market, and that obviously has affected our logistic cost. Then there are other elements but those ones are more from a tax procedures perspective, like the requirement to have the teams active for our supply chain, for our expenses to be allowable whenever we are counting. I think the biggest challenge we see here for the alcohol sector is the smallholder farmers. So we procure a lot of grain from smallholder farmers, and most of them have never interacted with KRA systems, leave alone E-teams. A lot of them people who have a quarter acre, half an acre, they're elderly, they probably don't have the technology that KRA is trying to introduce. And we see that as a big challenge and it's something we are talking to government about in terms of at what level do we need to implement E-teams so that the industry is not losing on disallowed expenses or the claiming of input VAT, but we also help the government collect more in terms of taxes. All right. Uh, and then there's a specific question I wanted to ask, actually. So when KRA says you need to submit like the taxes within 24 hours, what does that mean if you're distributing like your products throughout the day? Is that like from the moment you release it from the warehouse, then within that 24 hours, that particular consignment, and you should send its excess duty to KRA? Does that mean so, Zach? Yes, that's exactly it. And what happens is... It significantly affects our cash flow because as, as I said, we are selling on a credit basis. So it means cash we've collected for other consignments that had been sold before we have to use that money to pay KRA. And if we don't have that money, then we have to borrow. So we have to go to the markets, uh, find short-term financing, which comes at a very high interest rate and finance the payment of that excise duty. And that, of course, increases our interest rates costs. And that's what has significantly affected our bottom line based on the half-year results that we announced. So even on weekends, you still have to remit that even if it is. And then is your system like integrated to KRA's system such that they continuously get an update from you? So whenever there's a tax payment, so all payments are made through ITAX. So whenever there's a payment, of course, they are going to see on their ITAX side that we've made the payment. So even from an audit point of view, they'll be able to know whether or not we've remitted. Now for weekends, we have had to say either we pay in advance on Friday for, and that one is based on projection. So you anticipate what you're going to sell within Saturday and Sunday, and then you make the remittance in advance, which means even paying earlier than the 24 hours, just to make sure that we are not on the wrong side of the law or we start getting penalties and interest accruing because of non-compliance. Todi, how do, what are the penalties like uh, for non-compliance on this end? Because you have 24 hours, so they have like a rate within which they calculate your penalty if you don't submit within the 24 hours. Once the law then provides uh, that you need to make the payment within 24 hours, then the penalty, of course, applies on the expiry of of that 24 hours, uh, but, but of course, that's something that will probably pick. But even for, from a KRA perspective, I think it, it will be very difficult even trying to audit that, to be honest. Uh, of course, it's not impossible because we all have all these systems where they can be able to get all this information. But you can see that it actually makes even the audit more cumbersome because they have to go granular and see, okay, on this day, how many trucks uh, left the factory? What was the value of the consignment and all that? What amount of tax was paid within 24 hours? So 
it's all around very difficult. And of course, it also hugely depends on, on the compliance of the manufacturer, for example, because at the end of the day, you still have to be compliant, Zaka said. And I think it's very important because another change that came in with the Finance Act is actually removing the provision that allowed for a waiver of penalties and interest. So currently, there is the amnesty that is ongoing that should end by June of 2024. And if the law is not changed uh, through the Finance Act 2024, it, it actually means that after that, any penalties and interest that, that you incur will actually become uh, due and payable. And there will be no provision in the law to actually apply for waiver. So as Zaka said, it, it's very important for you to actually be compliant. Joe, you're here now. Karibu. Thank you, Eric. Yes, so maybe you can introduce yourself and maybe give your points. You're supposed to be co-host. It's been 30 minutes, so you can help me now. Thank you, Mokaya, and apologies for joining in a bit late. My name is Joe Maniki. Yes, Kriput. I've been a member of Mango Capital Team, helping to enhance the discourse on tax issues, policy, and the changes that are happening across the country. And they're really looking at uh, the changes uh, with regard to excise duty introduced uh, last year, I will start by pointing out on uh, one major change that uh, the speakers have not yet uh, pointed out. And this is uh, with regard to introduction of 15% excise duty on advertisement. And this is for alcoholic uh, beverages and uh, the betting and gaming industry. And this 15% excise duty applies on any adverts put on print media, on the radio and the televisions. Maybe Zach can comment how uh, that has impacted uh, the industry with regard to cost of doing business and also the other partners who have been supporting them in these uh, advertisement campaigns. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, I, I think I, I left that out. So when we look at the exercise that was introduced, and it's something that had also been proposed in the past, in the last government, but now it was reintroduced again at 15%. Uh, and it's another way of saying that the government is trying to protect the society against the negative externalities related to either alcohol or betting. I think the impact from our side has been a lot to do with how we manage our advertising budget. The port has not changed. So in terms of advertising ports, because we use advertising a lot to sensitize people about our brands and also just distinguish ourselves from how someone can identify legal product from illicit product. And if you look at the bigger industry on advertising and television, it's also part of promoting the creative industry. So in terms of the ports for advertising, it has not changed. So it's just that probably if we are doing for example, 100 campaigns. Now we've shrunk that in terms of the numbers, but the port has not changed yet. We probably are advertising less because the numbers, of course, have gone down. But given that we continue to sell and we continue to build our brand equity through advertising, we are just more prudent on which campaigns we pursue. But it's definitely going to affect the income that goes to the owners of media, like print media, radio, and probably they will tell you the number of advertisements we used to have before the exercise was introduced and now has materially changed. Thank you, Zach, for that. Next question, which goes to Toddy. There was an introduction or rather a change on the excise goods management system that was introduced uh, last year, March uh, 2023. And the change was basically increased in the excise stamps rates. Maybe Toddy can paint for us as the reason behind government introduction of this uh, excise stamp and whether the increment that we saw introduced last year really helps achieve this uh, objective. Thanks, Joe. So I, I think, of course, the government, the way they will frame it, of course, is that we're introducing new stamps, maybe new security features and all that kind of stuff, and that it, the aims is to fight illicit trade. But for me, I think it's just another easy option for the government to, to raise its revenues. In my thinking, I think the guys at Treasury probably just have an Excel sheet where they're just looking at this is the number that we have this year. If we multiply that by a certain number, then this is what we would expect. But of course, we all know that it doesn't really work like that. In terms of the increase in the price of the stamps, I'm not sure it has really affected fighting the illicit trade because for me, 
excise duty being a consumption tax, any increase around that particular tax. And we've always seen this over the years, especially the alcoholic beverage industry, as well as the tobacco industry, uh, which are the two main affected by excise duty over the years. And there have always been increases almost in, in all finance acts, as long as I can remember. So that always affects the price of the products because it's a consumption tax. Of course, the manufacturers, their first instinct will definitely be to pass on that tax or that cost to the consumer. And of course, then that means that the price of legit alcohol or legit tobacco products then goes up. And we all know the effects of that around creating an opportunity for illicit trade. For what I think it will probably be uh, counterproductive because at the end of the day, you're still increasing excess duty. And of course, there are all these other factors that are involved. I, I, I think we are, we are really concentrating on excess duty today, but there are all these changes that are coming in, even from uh, payers you want perspective. And if you talk about the social health insurance fund that's supposed to come in, the new NSSF rates that are kicking in, this month, it becomes very costly even for the businesses that are operating in Canada, even to have employees. And that's why we are seeing uh, all these layoffs across the industry. So for me, I don't think it has achieved its objective other than probably aiding the illicit trade. I don't really have the statistics in terms of whether there has been an effect. Maybe uh, Zach can probably comment on that in terms of whether the, the illicit trade has actually uh, reduced, so to speak. But from my thinking, it has probably had uh, a counterproductive impact on the same. Dark to you. So I actually have some additions to make from what Todia said. First, that increase on excess dump cost has not been implemented yet. So there's a court case that was lodged at the time when the EGMS regulations proposed the increase on excess dumps. And the courts also issued conservatory orders stopping any increase on the stamps. And there are fundamental issues that were raised in terms of public participation and the results behind the increase. So we are still operating under those court orders. So the change has not been implemented. So the stamp costs have remained the same. So beer is 1.5, spirit is 2.8 shillings per, per, per bottle. I think for cigarettes across the industry, none of the stamp costs has changed, basically. And then in addition, those a parliamentary report that said that the process of increasing the excess stamp costs, there was no proper public participation that was done, essentially. So that's the other layer of a blockage from the increase that was proposed by KRA. And then third, I feel like we looking at our neighbors, for example, Tanzania, they've managed to lower their cost of stamps twice in the last two years. So recently, there was a public notice by TRA, the Tanzania Revenue Authority, reducing the stamp cost by almost 30%, particularly for alcoholic drink. And the funny thing is the same supplier of stamps we have here is the same supplier of stamps we have in Tanzania. So it begs the question why a stamp cost more in Kenya than in Tanzania, and yet it's the same supplier. Yes, Zach, thank you for that. There's a question here specifically to EABL. Why don't you go to court over this issue, especially of the 24-hour demand to pay excess duty? That's a good question, a tricky one. So the specific reason that was given for the introduction of 24-hour payments by parliament was that they thought that it would deal with the question of illicit. And it's the same government we rely on to enforce against illicit. Like I mentioned, it's a big problem for us. It accounts for 59% of the industry. So at that time, we were told is that we need to give it time and see whether that will actually be the case. We didn't see the merit of it because illicit alcohol manufacturers not even within the compliance of tax laws space. Putting a tax on someone who already does not recognize what compliance is about really defeats the, the purpose of it. So we operated in good faith and said that we would continue observing what the impact would be without antagonizing their ability to go out and enforce against illicit trade. But they've seen the impact now, and we've had several engagements even with KRA. And even they confess that they are facing issues in terms of enforcing compliance. And also they see that it's affecting their collection over time. So we are hoping that with the coming of the finance bill for 2024, they'd be able to change it. And hopefully we'll will not have to take any additional measures like going to court. What happens when ITAX is down? Does that mean that they can waive your penalties or something like that? Yes. So I know two days ago, I think ITAX was down. 
people could not log in to iTax and they sent a notification telling us that iTax is down. We will not be able to reconcile from a case on a case basis. They're able to adjust and see whether head wave say because of the technology gaps, they waive the penalty so that we are not just paying penalties even when the problem is on their end. So that's like in your account with KRA, does the penalty automatically reflect? So how does that work then? Do they have to come and check or do you self-report? How do they know that you've not remitted? If it's 24 hours, it's almost like it has to be continuously remitted as the truck leaves the premise. So you see it's 24 hours cycle in terms of generating the payment vouchers on iTax. So before you pay any taxes, you need to generate the payment vouchers on iTax and it's self-declaration. So based on how much we sold for my access stock room, we'll take our data from our internal system, reconcile, then uh, generate the, the payment slip on iTax. And it's at that point that all that procedure has to be done within 24 hours. So if they don't see um, a payment within 24 hours between the two payments, then penalties and interest starts accruing. Uh, Tony, do you have something to add here? No, I think Zach has definitely covered everything uh, around that particular issue. This is a point in time where you can ask questions to our ABLE panelists if you have any. So I'll check around and see if there is anyone who's uh, sent in some questions and we will uh, definitely look through them. One is from Bikeman who says EABL recorded a decline in after-tax earnings last year following increments in beer prices in the year ending 2023. Could this be an effect of the stamp and excise duty amendments brought by the Finance Act? I think we've covered that's partly the impact but perhaps Zach you can give a broader response to that. Now, someone wants to know uh, the, the impact of the stamp and excess duty as regards your financials for the half year that uh, you reported. I, I think in terms of performance, top line performance, we were good. So we recorded 16% growth in terms of the top line. So it means we are selling. The problem now is coming in at the bottom line. That's where the decline had come from the 22% we're talking about. And that's majorly because cash flow has been an issue because of the 24-hour accounting and payment of excise, which has forced us to borrow at very high interest rates and we have to pay. But the other complexities or challenges, for example, with the Forex. So you find a lot of the raw materials or some of the raw materials that we use are imported. You'll find, for example, ethanol has not been available in Kenya because the sugar industry has been facing a lot of challenges. So we've had to import. The imports are dollar denominated. So you'll find we are having to pay a lot more Kenya shillings for importing such raw materials, which of course it's outflow of cash, which means it also affects our bottom line because the cons go up. So those two factors, those are the major factors. And then there's also cost inflation. So cost of raw material generally has gone up. Even if we are selling a lot, you find that what trickles down to the bottom line is minimal because of those challenges. Effects, the interest rates and just general inflation and increasing cost of inflation for raw materials. I'll come to Tony in the meantime, as I look through some of the questions, someone is even asking if there is measures of tax avoidance, but uh, we don't discuss tax avoidance here. Tony, a question to you. MTIS has some, some suggestions in terms of excess duty, especially as related to alcohol. And I think and they're supposed to do a study as part of it to uh, see the impact of excess duties and stuff and to do some changes as regards uh, the next three years. Uh, so maybe we can discuss what the MTRS is and what are some of the key takeaways in that regard? Todi and then maybe Joe, you can add uh, when Todi is done. Okay, the MTRM, of course, is the government's medium-term revenue strategy, of course, which, you know, then builds up into the various finance acts for the next three or so years. But from, from an excise duty perspective, if, if you look at the government strategy, but first of all, what's important to, to note is, uh, and of course, a lot of people might be aware of this, is the IMF influence in our economy and, of course, in our tax policies as well. Because, of course, in the IMF's estimation, we are underperforming in terms of our task to GDP ratio. I think we are currently at about 13.5%, whereas IMF, IMF believes that we should be performing at around uh, 25%. When that then advises uh, the strategy and, and possible policies that are to come in, what that means is that there's definitely uh, an impact in terms of expected increase of tax. And, and of course, as guys may be aware, we always do a review of taxes 
each and every year based on the various financiers. And the problem with that is that we, we have created like a very unpredictable tax environment and from a business perspective, that's definitely not a good thing. There are currently discussions that are ongoing about the national tax policy, which as professionals, we hope that it can come in as soon as possible because then it will provide a very specific terms in terms of how tax law changes can actually be made and the duration, for example, it doesn't have to be uh, each and every year, possibly maybe after two or three years. And, and at least that will then have Kenya have a predictable sort of like tax environment, because if you speak to investors, they are concerned about the various increases in taxes. But what's the biggest concern as well is the unpredictability of it. We are having taxes being increased each and every year. So if you look at the MTRS, for example, that was recently released, of course, it does propose uh, a few changes from a tax perspective. Of course, there are various tax heads uh, applicable in Kenya. From an excise duty perspective, unfortunately, the proposal is to actually increase excise duty on alcohol industry, tobacco industry, as well as, as the betting industry. Those seem to be the, the three targeted industry when you come to excise duties. From an excise duty perspective, there doesn't seem to be any relief that is expected in future. Maybe as Zach has mentioned, probably then the issue about the 24-hour remittance model. Maybe they can just have a look at that, but I'm not sure how far they would want to extend that because if you remember correctly, when the finance bill 2023 came in, there was a provision with regards to payment of withholding tax. Actually, they had proposed to have it paid within 24 hours. Once after the public participation, they increased that period to, to five working days. So I'm also just trying to think whether we'll actually then revert to the monthly payments for excise duty, or maybe then they'll just say, okay, you guys then just account for it within five working days. So other proposals are with regards to VAT. I think a country like Tanzania actually charges VAT at 18%. So there's always been that discussion that the VAT rate in Kenya is actually low and there are proposals to actually increase that to 18%. The other proposals with regards to removal of EPZs and SEZs. If guys are not aware, if you operate within an EPZ or an SEZ, then there are a lot of things, if you like, reduce tax rate as well. So there's a proposal to, uh, to do away with that particular regime. Of course, these are just proposals uh, under the LTRS. And of course, it's uh, from 2024, 20, 2025, 2026, 20, So it might come in or they might not come in. These are just, these are definitely just proposals. But then there's also a proposal to reduce uh, CIT rate from 30% uh, to 25%, which definitely uh, will be a welcome thing. But of course, for the government, the way they do is that they give uh, with one hand and of course take with the other. For example, for rental income, there's been a lot of debate around uh, rental income and the government trying to bring the people on board, the landlords on board the rental income regime. The Finance Act 2023 actually reduced the rental income tax rate from 10% to 7.5%. But now there's a proposal to actually align that with the corporation tax rate so that all businesses can be under the same tax rate in terms of their income. So those are some of the changes. And of course, then there's the proposal to reintroduce a minimum tax, which is still an issue that is still there in court. Uh, I think it's under the Court of Appeal at the moment, either under the Court of Appeal or, or the Supreme Court. Uh, of course, the government having lost and, and high court. So there is, there is a proposal to reintroduce minimum tax. So minimum tax is basically a, a tax that will be paid by all businesses that are reporting losses. Whether you are in a profitable or loss position, especially if you're in a loss position, there'll be a percentage that will be charged on your revenue. Yeah, and not on your profit, it's on your revenue. So there's also that proposal that, that would come in uh, based on the recently published MTRS. That's a lot. I need an entire spaces on that. George, do you have anything to add? Yes, I'll comment on one important proposal in the MTRS with regard to excise duty. And that has to do with the harmonization of excise duty structures within the ESC region. If this is uh, properly implemented, I believe it will help enable manufacturers of these accessible goods to realize profits for their efforts, for their investments. Because uh, currently what happens, and uh, Zach alluded to that, when we mentioned about the uh, reduction of their excise stamps in Tanzania, also looking at Uganda, probably you find that the uh, excess duty routes on these accessible goods are much lower compared to Kenya. 
So looking at optimization within the ESC region, we expect that to enable manufacturers get value for their investment across, especially on the board accounts. And I'm sure maybe Zach can uh, comment on that. Reports indicated that illicit trade and the smuggling happens a lot around the board accounts because of course uh, of the varying tax rates in the neighboring countries. Of our finance ministers across the ESC region will agree to this harmonization and that will be to a big advantage to our manufacturing. Anything you can comment on that? Yeah, just one addition, and, and you're right, that if harmonization in the actual meaning of the word harmonization works, it would be perfect. But the way it's been proposed by the EAC Tax Policy Subcommittee is that IMF has proposed, and specifically for alcohol, they want, first of all, a change in structure. So as opposed to currently in Kenya, we have volume-based excise levy. Now they want it to be alcohol-based, ABV-based uh, kind of excise. So it means higher ABV alcoholic drinks pay more, lower ABV alcohol pays less, which now would be applicable across. So from that perspective or structure, it would be harmonized. But now when you look at the amount, because Currently, if you look at Kenya, a liter of beer is at 142 uh, shillings. If you check Uganda, the equivalent is 57 shillings. So in this new proposal, it would bring it, what they say is that every country needs to bring their excise to a minimum of, say, for alcohol that is at 5%, you need to charge it at maybe $8 per 100 of LPA. It's a complicated formula, but what that means is that even though Kenya is at 142, when you compute based on that model called, uh, of harmonization, we, we should actually be going down to something like 75 shillings, but it's highly unlikely the government is going to take that route. So what the EAC has proposed is that now that 75 shillings will be the minimum. So someone in Uganda who was paying 57 shillings per liter now will have to go up to 75, but the excise paid in Kenya will still be high at 142 shillings per liter. So in terms of the structure of how you levy from volume, to ABV based, that will be harmonized. But in actual value, we don't see how it's going to be harmonized. So the issue of contraband will still continue, where we'll still find that it's more affordable to consume a beer in Uganda or Tanzania. Thank you, Zach. A quick question, maybe a little earlier, I talked about tax avoidance. I, I, I actually meant tax evasion. So I wanted to maybe discuss in terms of uh, managing your excess duty payment. Tony, what are some of the proposals that you would have maybe for some of the industry players so that they can minimize the implications that it has on their business? I think from my perspective, it's a bit tricky in terms of, you know, how you will try to implement the same because we are, we are talking about a law that you need to comply with. So as long as that law is there, I'm, I'm just trying to think about uh, strategies that maybe that can be employed in terms of helping reducing the impact of, of the same. But as Zach had actually mentioned, in terms of operational costs, there's not much that you can do because if you don't have that money with you, you definitely need to, to seek a short-term facility, which is definitely expensive. And of course, from a manpower perspective, it means that you probably need someone who will be doing that work on a daily basis. Like I had mentioned, that tax accounting has definitely now become a full-time job. So the best route, of course, will be to lobby. Of course, we have the chance in terms of uh, the coming in of the Finance Act 2024. As Zach has mentioned, there are already conversations that are going on with the policymakers, with the carriers, in terms of trying to change that, because that would probably be the best route uh, rather than going to the court or rather than trying to be smart in your accounting, because at the end of the day, you might try to be smart. And what you're actually doing is, is outright illegal, unless you just try and go rogue and, and say, uh, even if I dispatch some consignments, I'm going to declare them as consignments for the next day or when I actually uh, get funds. And then, of course, that's definitely outright illegal. I, I think it, it would be best or from a strategy perspective just to try and lobby because the studies are there. It has already been implemented for almost a year or at least by the time you're getting to the next finance act. So they can already see the impact that these changes have actually had on the industry. So for me, my best bet uh, would probably be on, on trying to lobby uh, trying to extend that period or 
possibly even uh, return it to, to, to being a monthly payment. Thank you so much uh, on that. Joe, did you have something to add before we start our closing? I think there are not many questions today. I wanted to comment on what we have seen recently on happening with regard to manufacturers of accessible goods. Obviously, we have seen news about uh, one large cigarette manufacturer laying off over a thousand employees. We have seen in the recent years a plant in Thika closed down. Africa Spirits. You have seen also talks around uh, closing down uh, Keroche and all that. Really looking at all these uh, lost employment opportunities and also business closing down. I think there's room for government to engage more and uh, come up with solutions that are beneficial both to the government in terms of revenue generation and also in terms of uh, sustaining existing businesses. I believe we expect to see more dialogue than the government getting more and more aggressive in terms of uh, closing down the operations. I hope with the Kenya Kwanzaa government, there will be an endeavor to listen more to the manufacturers with an intent to facilitate uh, these manufacturers towards a uh, compliance and not necessarily clamping them down to um, an eventual clause. So that would be my comment. Hopefully somebody from the government is taking notes. Thank you, Joe. So now we'll go to closing thoughts. Maybe we can start with uh, Zach and then Tony. Uh, Zach, maybe you can give us a closing thought in terms of uh, your perspective now and especially guidance. If the government is listening, uh, maybe you can also give your case for the Finance Act 2024. So some things to be included there. I think the first thing to say is, I know sometimes we speak a lot about the bad things that have happened, but I think I'd start by saying the government did a good thing by repealing Section 10 of the Excise Duty Act. It's a clause that was unrealistic, where you're looking at increasing excise every year without expecting that it would have an impact on collection or industries. And it did. And we appreciate the government eventually, after many years of of talking about how it needs to be repealed, it was actually repealed. And if you look at the Q1 collection for beer by carry, they actually grew by 7.3%. And that was a direct impact from there. So top line, we are growing because there's a bit of predictability. Now we just need to maintain that kind of uh, regime. So as I have stated before, the excise in Kenya is the highest across East Africa. First, continue being competitive uh, within the alcohol industry in Kenya. Our proposal would be just to retain the taxes wherever they are because it's demonstrated, particularly for beer products, that any additional increase will actually lead to a decrease in collection. It's data that is there, it's information that is there. There's um, a study the government is doing, which is also something we'd like to comment, and we hope that the outcomes from that study will actually be adopted. There's a study being done by Kipra in partnership with Africa Economic Research Consortium. It started last year. We've been able to give our inputs. And when you look at the elasticity for beer, so we are looking at elasticity across all alcoholic products. But if you look at mostly for beer, we've already hit the revenue maximizing tax rate as we are. In fact, we should be talking about reducing as opposed to increasing. When you look at spirits, because in the tail end of the finance bill for financial year 2022, there are actually three increases on alcohol, specifically for spirits, which has significantly eroded the ability of legitimate manufacturers to compete with illicit trade, which you will find it's a lot more in the spirit space than in beer or wine. So to allow for industry to be able to compete or actually recruit from illicit. We feel even for spirits, there should be a hold on excise and it should follow the study that Kipra is doing in partnership with uh, the Africa Economic Research Consortium. I think it's a good way where we are making policies that are data-driven as opposed to someone's educated guess, so to say, moving how taxes should be moving. Then, of course, there are other administrative concerns that we have, the payment of excise within 24 hours, payment of withholding VAT within five days, 
I feel that impacts cash flow and we need that cash flow as industries to continue investing. It also comes with administrative challenges which the government should be looking at so that we can continue being competitive within the alcohol industry. I think those would be my closing remarks. Zach, maybe you can tell people also where to find you. My Twitter handle is Muni Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, like the tax connector, but single C. You can also visit us at the Density Business Park. That's where our offices are. So that's where you can find me. Thank you. Toddy, uh, maybe you can give us your closing remarks. I would just like to mention two things. And I think especially with the Finance Act 2023, it's probably the one Finance Act that I've seen create a lot of debate, even among the, what you would call the, the common monarchs, which I think is a good thing because I think slowly people are realizing just how tax policies can actually uh, affect their lives directly, especially if you're talking about like the eating requirements that actually in 2024. If you're a small trader, like Zach was saying, the small scale farmers and, and that kind of stuff, that is something that is really affecting them directly because for big companies, you will now want to ensure that even the small traders are actually compliant with the ATM's requirements. If you're not compliant, then of course that business goes to someone who is compliant, probably a bigger business than you. So I think it's, it's important for us Kenyans just to get involved into these conversations, even when the 2024 finance bill then is, is actually published, just to interrogate it. And of course, for us as professionals to try and disseminate whatever technical information is, is contained in there to, to, to the general public, just to create that debate and for people to understand uh, how some of these policies actually affect their lives. I, I actually encourage such sessions and I'm, and I'm happy to be on today. Because I think the other thing that I wanted to mention is that it, it, it's high time that we start debating about the tax morale and of course the tax morale by this, the intrinsic motivation of the public uh, to actually pay taxes. Because Kerry can only do so much. And, and then that explains why Kerry, of course, probably focuses on the big corporation uh, or probably even the, 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 the medium-sized corporation because it's easier to get to those or it's easier to get to those uh, legit businesses. But of course, they cannot get uh, to everyone. So what would be really good is for Kenyans to comply with taxation laws uh, voluntarily because that would make it easy for everyone. But of course, then that we'll have to have the discussion around the pilferage within government, around the budgeted corruption and all that kind of stuff, because I can understand for a Kenyan looking from outside in and they're like, why am I paying these taxes only for them to be wasted? So hopefully maybe we can start having more of that debate because for me, I think it will, it will make everything easier in terms of compliance and it will definitely make the government's work easier as well. Handle is, is Todi Thairo. Like I had mentioned, I'm the director and lead consultant at Astute Consulting. So I'm a tax consultant. Uh, feel free to, to drop me a DM and uh, we can definitely pick the conversation from there. Thank you so much. Joe, do you have any closing words? Yes, Eric. Uh, mine is to thank uh, Mango Capital for creating this platform where we can openly discuss and um, debunk the myths around the tax policy and changes. The hopefully uh, what we expect or I expect to see in this as we expect to see the uh, finance bill 2024 published is uh, more of these discussions, more of involvement from the public and of course expectation from the government that public participation will not just be a matter of ticking the box, but that our opinions will be listened to and uh, actioned upon. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Zach, Todi, and Joe, on uh, this uh, special edition of Mango Spaces where we discuss the excess duty. Thank you so much for supporting us. We just hit 110,000 followers today. Uh, it's almost three years and two months since we started this. So it's a really good journey. I uh, want to make it a good place where you can come and have good conversations about markets and businesses and know how to grow yourself. Thank you so much for joining us. Keep following us on the timeline, sharing our content and DMing us uh, with questions and topics that you want us to discuss.